This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our brain trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello and welcome back to the e-commerce brain trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters, head of retail strategy at Acadia. And today I'm joined by a returning guest who was first on the podcast back in 2019. It's Afton Kenyon, who is the senior e-com manager at Slate Milk. Afton started out at a small family-owned honey company as their main marketing person when she was suggested that Amazon might be a thing and she jumped in to figure all of that out. Since then, she's worked across multiple different categories and different aspects of e-commerce, with both within retail brands and on the agency side. And Afton was first on the podcast in 2019 when she was still very new to the world of Amazon and e-commerce. And we talked about what it was like getting started and all of the things she was learning at the time. And recently when we met up in person, Afton, you suggested, hey, could we do a retake? I feel like, you know, my online persona is kind of being shaped by who I was and what I knew back in 2019. So let's do an update, which I thought was a really great idea. Welcome back. Thanks, Gary. I appreciate the chance to redeem myself (laughs) and show all the progress that I've made in, in the past few years. Well, I think, you know, it is everyone starts somewhere. I mean, I think back to when I first started in this industry and really how little I knew, everyone has that starting point. And I think it's actually great. We're going to reflect a little bit on what your journey looks like going from doer to manager and leader, essentially, and like what maybe some tips that you have on for people starting out or for people transitioning from, you know, doer to leader. This is a young profession at the end of the day. So I think that it's great to showcase a little bit more of what that journey looks like. Yeah, I agree. I appreciate it. And, and, you know, it's really, I love to joke about that. But I think you mentioned this is a young profession as a whole. I think anyone would tell you the amount of change and progress that they've made over the past five years, no matter where they've been in their career and in their e-commerce journey has probably been substantial. We probably all feel like a bit of a different person. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, catch us up on the last four years and what you've been up to since we last spoke on the podcast. Yeah. So I think the last podcast that we did together, that was really about kind of what it's like stepping into the e-commerce space with, you know, brand new fresh eyes and that eagerness, which I would love to say that I, I haven't lost. I think that's hopefully an integral part of my personality. But but man, I, like I said, feel like a different person in a great way. I went from being kind of small family-owned company was where I started into a few different brands. I've actually been on the agency side as well. And I'm sure you can speak to it very well. You get exposure to all categories, all different types of clients and budgets and products and audiences. And I think that has really kind of first and foremost shaped who I am now as really as an e-commerce professional and a digital marketer as a whole. So that was really amazing. 
And I've been lucky enough to not only really dive into Amazon and kind of everything Amazon related, but sort of the whole e-com ecosystem, like direct consumer and other retail.com. And it's been a great journey so far. I've really enjoyed all of the different aspects. I feel like I have kind of found my niche, which has been great. I really sort of have loved and settled into working with brands primarily in the natural grocery space and really emphasizing kind of that emerging brand or brands that are just sort of stepping out into the e-commerce space, be it ones that have been traditionally retail or ones that have kind of, you know, just started and are kind of looking to expand their e-commerce presence. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a really interesting difference with Slate that you were telling me about is that unlike some of the other brands that you've worked with and unlike a lot of many brands in the grocery space is going from D to C to traditional retail. And that is, you know, that has a different flavor, I guess, of what your marketplace strategy is going to look like when you're going from a digital first company expanding out to retail versus you have very different challenges and perspective when you're a a wholesale company going into digital and marketplaces for the first time. Absolutely. It's, I don't want to say a night and day difference because obviously there's a fair bit of overlap in tactics and strategy, but I will say this is really Slate Milk is kind of the first brand that I've worked with that has really grown up in sort of the, I don't want to say post-pandemic because they were established in 2019, but they've really come into their own starting out with just the digital ecosystem. That was sort of first and foremost in their minds. Not a digitally native brand, so not exclusively digital. Obviously, they started out in some retail, but they really leaned heavily into their own direct consumer site and into socials and, and all of that aspect. And the experience of being with a company that has all of that stuff under their belt, all that experience, all that understanding has been kind of night and day from a company that is just retail and has even I've been with some legacy companies where, you know, you're working on a hundred years of retail, trying to transition not only the hard, you know, assets and creative and supply chain, all of that stuff, but sometimes even just attitudes. Yeah. And so that has always always been a challenge going from a retail first company. And then the digital first company has been amazing. The experience has been a breeze compared just because a lot of companies, when they're going from retail to e-commerce, they actually take e-commerce evidence and e-commerce results back to retail brands as sort of proof of concept. I've had that happen multiple times. You know, Retail brands will ask me, well, hey, what are the Amazon numbers so I can take this back and prove that we should be on shelf? versus whenever you're a digitally native company, I mean, that's all just an integral part of your company. You have those on hand, you have all of the data, you have all of that stuff sort of built in. And that's really easy to take to those retail companies and say, hey, look at what we've done just by using these channels. We are, yeah. you know, we're malleable, not malleable, but you know, really just think on our toes. We're able to pivot quickly and grow and we can bring all of that excitement over to retail. Yeah. 
Well, I'm sure it's not all sunshine and lollipops either. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have to get into all of that, but suffice to say that there's a big difference, challenges and unique benefits on both sides, I guess. Absolutely. So just going back to the sort of the theme of professional development in the e-commerce industry, you still, you know, still young and emerging. What would you say are the top three or so ways you've been able to progress in this field? Yeah, going back to kind of that agency experience, again, I know that you and your team are extremely familiar with just all of the different aspects that you get exposed to in the agency life, the different brands that you work with, the different needs, the different budgets, all of those things, you just kind of drink from a fire hose. And that's really, I would say, what shaped me as an e-commerce professional. You learn to think on your toes, you learn to act quickly, and you learn to actually look at the data and make decisions rather than just kind of you know, laying it out there. You have to take that evidence and make sound structural decisions on the account. So I would say that's you know number one, been the largest, most pivotal aspect of my e-commerce career. And number two, going back to what we talked about, like that eagerness, I hope I haven't lost that. I still love just learning and absorbing, be it from podcasts like yours or, you know, YouTube videos. There's obviously a huge multitude of YouTube e-commerce people now. And then everything from just articles, YouTube conferences. I love conferences just for the learning. Again, all of those different aspects of the entire e-commerce lifestyle. And then I would say number three, which, you know, last but definitely not least important has been just some great people, some great mentors in the space, some great managers in the space, people who really encourage that learning process and allowing that trial and testing, which we all know is so important in e-commerce and just encouraging that aspect and saying, okay, you know, we, you've got our trust now let's try some things and see what we can make happen. I love all of these. I want to touch back on all of these because these are all super helpful. One is the agency work and like you skip multiple steps when you're working with like a handful (laughs) of clients, all of them different, trying to get buy-in from, you know, sometimes frankly people who don't care. It's the last thing on their to-do list and you've got to find a way to actually crystallize, hey, this is what's going on. You must, you know, this is why this is important. So I love that agency side. It's very different to brand side, probably not for everyone. You need a really strong stomach. and uh, <laughs> But it is fun. It's like very collaborative. You're working with really smart, fast-paced people. And I love that. And I think if you're going to, even if you intend to be brand side, it's a great experience to go agency side for a little bit. I would highly recommend it to anybody looking in the space. Just like you mentioned, it really kind of helps build your fortitude. You have to have steel in your bones and your heart to deal with some of the fast pace and the large budgets. And sometimes, you know, like you mentioned, you have to really focus on getting everyone to be on the same page and getting that client's trust and 
it makes you grow and learn like nothing else. I would highly recommend everyone in e-commerce at least trying it out. (laughs) Yep. So I'm a big LinkedIn person. As you know, I'm a big podcast person. I listen far more than I produce, which is just a great format for me. I'm running around. I've got a young family. I'll put the podcast on when I'm, you know, doing some housework or like going in the car somewhere. It's just really one of the more accessible ways to consume content and ideas. But I have not really gotten much out of YouTube. So I'd love to know like which YouTube channels you follow or people to give me some ideas there. Yeah. And I want to add one to that, which is Twitter. Oh, shockingly enough. Okay. That actually, I recently learned that the e-commerce community on Twitter is nearly as active as that on LinkedIn, and there's a lot of overlap there. So I would say that some of the similar people, because a lot of people are kind of multi-channel, you know, someone who will post on Twitter and then repost on LinkedIn, and then they'll link that all back to their YouTube video. And so that has been incredible as well. And, but as far as YouTube and it's been, you know, DTCX was one that I recently watched. That was a a conference for mainly focusing around direct consumer and customer experience. But again, there's tons of overlap and things that you can take on Amazon. And then, you know, Jeremy Horowitz is a really good one. He is a founder there at Gorgeous. And another one that I've been really following is Eli Weiss. He started out primarily in the customer experience, was actually with one of the main competitors of a brand that I previously worked with. So I won't name names, but I have always respected his value. And so just learned a lot. And sometimes, God bless the algorithm, you know, YouTube will, or LinkedIn or the like, will refer you to someone who you haven't heard before (laughs) and, you know, connected video. And it's just really been great so far. I'm sorry I don't have more specifics off the top of my head, but sometimes just kind of typing one of those keywords in and seeing what comes up has been really fruitful. Cool. And your last sort of top three thing that has led you to progress is having great bosses. So I totally agree. My question is, how do you choose a boss that's going to facilitate that? What should you be asking them during a job interview? Yeah. So I am somewhat unashamedly forward in job interviews. You know, a lot of people see job interviews as somewhere that they have to sort of sell themselves. But my personal experience has been a job interview is to ensure that you and the company that you're interviewing with will work together and the manager that you're interviewing with will work together well. And so when I'm on have been on job interviews, you know, I just come out with the questions of how do you feel about testing and learning? How do you feel about, you know, budgets on Amazon? What are your priorities in the e-commerce space? And I find being forward is actually the best course of action because you can find that if that manager and you can find that if you gel with them and if you guys have somewhat of the same priorities or the same vision, because it's really, really difficult. And as you know, from the agency side as well, when you have a client that maybe doesn't fully fully rely on your vision or fully isn't fully willing to kind of share the responsibility and the strategy and 
it can be really difficult and, and keep things from progressing and moving forward. So ensuring that a manager or a boss trusts you enough and allows you to maybe make some tweaks and changes and learn from some of the things that you've done in the account to move forward. You know, because to me, testing and learning is one of the most important parts of e-commerce. And if you're not allowed to do that, it can really slow things down. I think testing and learning is a great way to take some leaps forward because you don't know if you don't try. (laughs) That's kind of been my philosophy. And to have managers or bosses who also have that philosophy is really, really spectacular. That's one thing that I love about where I'm at currently. Sometimes my boss and I will just hop on a call and make some live tweaks and record what we did and come back a few weeks later and say, hey, what were the results? So it's pretty special to have that kind of relationship. Yeah, that's a great point around shared philosophy. And some people are going to work a little bit differently. They're going to want to really dig into the data and make decisions that are very much grounded in you know, evidence first. And then there are some people who like to shoot first and ask questions later and like, let's test something, (laughs) let's test it and then learn from there. And so I guess that's a great question there is what the preference is both from the organization and your direct manager. And, you know, if you're someone who really loves to go into a test with a high conviction, a lot of data to begin with, then you're not really going to love working with someone who expects you to move really quickly and try lots of things out without you know, without all of that evidence up front, as an example. Honestly, been in both of those situations. I think landing somewhere kind of in the middle is somewhat optimal. I have been with a manager who says, you know, okay, we can try this, but I need five stacks of, you know, evidence and SOPs and all of that prior to making any changes. And then I've been with the opposite. And I think landing somewhere in the middle And I will say, you know, just to be honest, from my perspective, the shoot from the hip and because I just, like I said, there's that eagerness again, (laughs) that is sort of my natural inclination. But having had the manager who made me get those five stacks of evidence first and, and the plans and all of that has really kind of brought me to a good middle ground of saying, okay, it may not always be best to just shoot first, ask questions later. You do need a little bit of a plan and a little bit of a, you know, what is your desired outcome? What is your contingency? Those sort of things. So again, I feel like every step of the way I've tried to learn something from each manager and managerial style and then sort of mold that into my own philosophy. Awesome. Well, let's move on to talk about now that you're in a position where you're managing people who are earlier in their career and leading the charge for e-commerce, what do you know now that you wish you knew back then? Yeah, I have managed, you know, way back when, when I think we talked last, I was managing there and my managerial style, like I mentioned, has changed a fair bit. First and foremost, my goal is to ensure that anybody who I manage really is growing professionally and very to be very well-rounded, not just in the narrow scope of our relationship. Like if this person's job is to purely get data for me, I'm not going to only focus on data in my conversations with them. You know, you want to try to broaden that aspect a little bit. 
and make sure that we're understanding the why and like I said, the outcomes and really just kind of put a more holistic view on it. And then trying to manage the person's growth, again, not only in their role, but really professionally. I've kind of found one of my passions is mentoring younger people in this space because I started just kind of by the seat of my pants and sort of learned everything I did along the way. And then trying to impart some of those things that I've learned to help them maybe take a few steps forward from where I was and try to start with their best foot forward and understanding what they are driving towards and what they can do for their brands or their clients to kind of have the best mutual results for not only their career, where they're at now, but their future as well. Awesome. And what have you changed your mind about in the world of (laughs) e-commerce? Well, you have to be flexible in (laughs) e-commerce. You have to be open-minded in e-commerce. So I would say, you know, someone who hasn't changed their mind about anything is probably not going to last long because e-commerce is is always changing, which is part of the reason I think that people like us love it. But I will say Amazon has always been a kind of point of contention, I think, for a lot of people purely because other than, you know, maybe a select few yourself being one of them, I don't think anyone really understands all of the nuances of Amazon. Certainly not people who are, you know, one or two steps removed, be it clients or maybe a retail manager or whomever that, you know, we people like us are having to report up to. But it's really easy, I think, to get into the mindset that Amazon is kind of a boogeyman and that they just try to make everything difficult and they don't want to work with you. And it's just everything is hard because when you're having trouble with something as simple as changing bullet points or, you know, updating some images or something, it can just get really discouraging. And you're like, they're out to get me. Or, you know, God forbid, it's something like an ASIN is suppressed, or, you know, the algorithm is not ordering one of your largest sellers or just something like that. And so it can really be really easy to get in that mindset, but changed my mind, have sort of tried to bring some of that Zen into saying, you know, this is not one big, scary entity. Amazon is kind of a growing, changing organism. And there are a ton of different parts. And they have as much difficulty with all of them working and talking together as we do. So and understanding that, you know, sometimes, because when all else fails, you know, file a help case, (laughs) a support case, but even those can get really frustrating. But understanding that, you know, there's humans on the other side, of that support case and everyone is just kind of doing the best they can with what they're given, even the people at Amazon. (laughs) And so, yeah, that has been kind of the biggest shift that I've really had to make in my professional life. And in the way that even that I speak about Amazon to others, and you just don't want people to have that negative mindset about something that can really be amazing for your business. So it's been a shift and one that I think has been happened and has really resulted in a lot of positives. Yeah, I agree. The more people I speak with from Amazon, you know, it's clear that, like you said, 
it seems like they're out to get you or it's, you know, deliberately <laughs> trying to make things difficult, but it's really just such an enormous organization and such a huge channel. There's just going to be false positives and decisions get made where there's incomplete information. It turns out to be a bad decision. I mean, haven't we all done that before? And so you multiply that across the thousands of things that are happening every day. There's issues. And I think most people that I speak with at Amazon are obsessed with doing a great job and really want to make good things happen. But things just due to the nature of the company and how quickly they're moving and how competitive it is for Amazon out there as well, things do go wrong. And so it's about knowing how to navigate it, as you said, like knowing the avenues of escalation, things like that. So what are you excited about in the world of e-commerce? So e-commerce, I think we all feel it, is really kind of at a precipice, but in a great way. You know, there's just so much that has changed in the last two years, even one year, even six months. And so it sounds cliche, sounds maybe a little overplayed at this point, but I think AI is fascinating and is really going to kind of change the face of e-commerce as a whole in ways that we maybe can't necessarily predict yet. But the things that people, again, going back to those YouTube videos, I have gone down a rabbit hole of people using chat GPT to create Amazon bullet points where their prompt input was a list of keywords and attributes. And then chat GPT spit out this entire, you know, bullet points using all of those. And it's not perfect. Something that I've heard was AI is not going to replace people, but it's never going to replace creativity and just kind of that human oversight, that human drive. It's really just there as a tool. Yeah. So using that tool to help make our jobs more efficient and maybe even gaining some new ideas or some, I mean, someone like myself, I unfortunately, organization does not come naturally to me. That's something that I've really had to focus on and put a lot of effort into. And so something like, you know, allowing myself to input all of my tasks or all of, like I said, a list of keywords, you know, just sort of that collection that's in my brain or maybe on my notes app into an AI computer like ChatGPT and having it spit out a coherent and organized list has been game changing. So I just can't wait to see how that kind of progresses. Yeah, absolutely. And in a few episodes time, a couple of my colleagues from Acadia who are on the creative side doing, you know, like photo shoots and creating social media content and stuff like that, which is very creative heavy, right? And they are using AI and chat GPT to streamline a lot of content planning, getting shoot lists together. And, you know, it's a tool, like you said, for creativity. It doesn't mean that like I try and I've done some experimentation and like AI is not spitting out very creative or inspiring headlines for copy, (laughs) at least yet. Like there is, but it is very good at structuring or structuring content and summarizing it so why not use that tool it's kind of like 
using spell check in a document. It just, <laughs> why would you do that yourself when there is a computer that can do that better? But yeah, absolutely. The creative side of it, knowing how to give good prompts that are going to get good responses coming out of it. I'm excited about it too. And it just means it levels the playing field a lot, I think. And the big question is like figuring out how to use it as a tool rather than over-relying on it and have your, you know, organic kombucha product listing look the same as every other organic kombucha product listing. That's the world we don't want to end up in. (laughs) Well, and, you know, on that note, I do wonder if we'll start to see on Amazon, especially with a lot of the the kind of random third-party brands, is with, I just somewhat recently learned that you can actually create AI images that feature your product. You upload an image and say, hey, I want, I think the example used was table linen. Say, hey, I want this table linen featured in an image with a woman and a wine glass and all of that. And AI will actually spit that out for you using your product. So I do wonder if on Amazon, we will start to see a lot of listings looking very, very similar just for the fact that AI is using, you know, they're using that common data set and that data set is massive, but even people who have used it to try to come up with some creative prompts will give you I don't want to say generic because that seems like a cheap word, but somewhat generic responses. And so are we going to see Amazon starting to trend in that generic direction? And will the differentiator be those who can utilize it a little bit better and get better results from it? And so our listings will stand out from those who are just using it to kind of pump out that content. So again, this is a great discussion because I, I mean, Already on Amazon, there are entire categories where every product looks exactly the same and it's a terrible experience, absolutely terrible. And so I see what you're saying, but I also think that when you're putting those image prompts in, you should also be adding things like in this style or with this kind of emotional feeling. I'm not sure if you saw this, and this is genius, is Coke did a, they've got some kind of online contest now where you can use chat GPT and it's all like through a web app you can like create a advertisement for coke using their product images like you said and provide those prompts and like and then submit that artwork that you like quote unquote created through the help of the chat and they're picking winners and there's some really creative concepts that the AI didn't just think of by itself it required a human to say okay I think one of the images I saw was like a cat in an astronaut outfit in the galaxy holding a can of Coke. And it was like, it was really cool, but that did actually require a prompt to create that. So I think it it is going to come down to the creativity of the human at the steering wheel to make that happen. But yeah, I'm I'm sure we'll see plenty of really bad... Really bad <laughs> well, AI images as well. One actually, you know, content piece that I want to make sure that I get in there, add to the list is there's a brand or a company called Growth Design, and their entire thing, their entire value is they use human psychology and discussing of you know listings or customer experience and really kind of the whole buying experience. And so 
combining that with AI, you know, talking about the image creation, you can think of it from that psychological lens. Like, what will my customer be triggered by or find value in, even subconsciously? And then trying to include those in your AI content or in the flow of things that you use. So yeah, I, I just think we're on just this fascinating, very edge, very cusp of all of these amazing developments. We just kind of don't know how it's going to pan out yet. <laughs> Super cool. Well, thank you again, Afton, for joining me. This is great to reconnect, hear what's on your mind and what you found interesting. I think this is a really great episode for people who are you know, earlier in their careers wondering what's next and you're sort of providing that idea of a path forward and then also for people who are managing and mentoring younger people as well and that sort of advice for progressing in the industry. So appreciate your time and willingness to come on the show and share again. Thank you, Gary. It's been wonderful. It's been great to catch up. Thanks for nerding out with me for a bit and yeah, hopefully catch up with you soon. 